0: lock and load this is steve dace the steve day show
1: and greetings happy monday welcome to the steve day show live and on demand here on blaze tv radio and podcast steve dace here that's me alongside the returning Todd Erzin. Good to see you again, brother. Thank you. Good to be back. Uh, good to have you back. Aaron McIntyre here as well. Of course, you're joining us too. You can let us know who you are and what you think about what we think by emailing the show, steve at stevedace.com. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook, We Parlor and Gab. Follow me at Steve Dace Show on twitter and getter and don't forget to get clips of the show for free that are also free of censorship when you go to rumble.com slash Show. that's rumble.com slash Show. the school year is uh, almost ending uh, universities will be getting out uh, of classes here in just a few weeks uh, k through 12 will be shutting down here in uh, about six weeks Never too early then to start looking ahead to what might be your education options for next year. If you have finally figured out that I just can't justify holding my child's mind into government school captivity any longer and you're looking for options, look at our friends over at Freedom Project Academy. They're built on Judeo-Christian values. A classical curriculum, what does that mean? It means they're taught, your children are taught the way that the founding generations of the country were taught. Uh, How to think, not what to think. Critical thinking is actually encouraged. Uh, You're taught mastery of subject matter, not spirit of the age propaganda. Uh, My own son, Noah, did Freedom Project Academy for uh, several years uh, as well when he was younger. I know the people that uh, were involved in establishing this online academy, good folk, Got to know them in the original Common Core fight. So that kind of gives you an idea of where their heart is at. If you want to learn more, classes are already filling up for next year. So do not wait to the last minute. All right. Get a free packet of information right now when you go to freedomforschool.com. Again, that is freedomforschool.com. Coming up on the program here today, our good friend Bob Vanderplatz will join us at the bottom of the hour. And I'm going to spring something on him. It is a meme that I saw over the weekend. And boy, if they say a picture says a thousand words, I think this one uh, definitely says quite a few. And so we're just going to We're just going to spring this meme on the audience and Bob at the bottom of this hour. And we're just going to discuss reactions to it. Okay. Next hour for our Monday town hall, uh, you know, we close the show on Friday with a explicit explanation of Good Friday and what it means. I thought maybe we should do that for Easter and what it means. And then I've got several interesting follow up uh, emails that I want to respond to that are, a, a, I think, right in the wheelhouse of the day after Easter conversation. So we're going to get into that coming up in the next hour of the show for the Monday Town Hall. Stay tuned for that. And, well, everything else before we get there. And before we get to everything else, of course, we begin, as we always do, with Aaron's rundown of what happened while we were away.
2: What happened while we were away brought to you by a hostile takeover update. The board of directors for Twitter has chosen to adopt a so-called poison pill seeking to block billionaire Elon Musk's hostile takeover of the company. The poison pill would essentially allow all shareholders, except for those attempting to take over the company, to buy newly offered shares in the company at a discounted price, meaning Musk would have to purchase the new shares at a higher price and essentially bankrupt himself if he wanted to take over the company. That's not gonna happen. As the Daily Wire reported last week, Twitter's board basically has three terrible options still to choose from at this point. Elon Musk could launch a proxy fight to remove the current board. The company found finds a savior to buy the company at a significantly higher price, which would then increase the value of Musk's current shares, or Musk could walk away and leave the company facing a pile of lawsuits from shareholders. Moving on, the White House announced Friday the resumption of the sale of oil and gas leases on federal land this week. That comes about 15 months after Biden imposed a moratorium on such sales taking place while he was in office. The Republican National Committee recently announced they voted unanimously to end the GOP's presence in the presidential debates in 2024 after the Commission on Presidential Debates refused to enact reforms on the debate process. Checking in on Florida, where Governor Ron DeSantis late last week signed a bill banning baby killing after 15 weeks, DeSantis in recent days has also proposed a new congressional redistricting map for the state that adds four Republican-leaning seats and would wipe out the Democrats' redistricting advantage nationwide. A new study published at The Lancet finds that in the U.K., the reinfection rate for COVID in both the original and Delta waves was 0.7% in adults and 0.2% in children meaning natural immunity was and still is the most effective vaccine against COVID. Groomer update, here's a random preschool, yes, preschool teacher. So my classroom celebrates diversity. It's probably my favorite thing to teach. We usually use kids' books to talk about this kind of thing.
0: Recently, we started wearing pronoun pins, and the kids get to pick a new pronoun pin every day. We have some that pick like she, her every single day, and we have some that change it up. So diversity is really important in my college. So I recently realized that there's a whole lot
2: of really amazing figureheads and people to look up to in this world who aren't white or straight or male or have what have you. And that we should learn a little bit more about these people. And finally, this headline from the Babylon Bee. Roman soldier assigned to guard tomb of some Jewish carpenter looking forward to uneventful weekend. And that's what happened? Well, we were away.
1: (laughs) Aaron's Montage brought to you by Tyga Coolers, one of our new sponsors here. It will be spring here in the Midwest someday. Today is not yet that day. In fact, we had measurable snowfall yesterday. Who's not dreaming of a white Easter? Right, this is like the second time in the last three years that we have had snow on Easter that we did not have on Christmas here uh, in the Midwest. But um, I, I know because I've you know been flipping channels uh, over the last couple of weeks. I see the spring happening in the South and some other places. It will soon, someday, arrive here. And when it does, or maybe it's already arrived where you live. Make sure to check out Tyga coolers. Uh, They're heavy-duty, built to last. They come in lots of colors. They can be customized for personal or corporate gifts or events. Uh, They sent uh, the three of us some customized coolers a couple of weeks back. Is this what it's like having a teenage son now? Does he just literally just gank all your stuff? All the cool stuff you get now, does just spill for it? At least this time he asked. This time he came to me and said, Hey, Pop, should I... You're not using that cooler, are you? What's he using it for? (laughs) Good question. Well, I was told it's uh, to take with me on uh, track meets, uh, is what I was told, because those are long days. I'm like, I don't know, those fit on the bus? They let you take those on the bus? I don't know, if you were a track coach and some teenage boys brought a cooler, wouldn't you instantly think? But then again, we went to government school. He doesn't, right? But wouldn't you instantly be suspicious of uh, what's that and what's the purpose of it, Correct.
3: I might, but it's hard to fake those track meets. I mean, you got to get out there and run. I mean, you got to have some legit stuff in there. I think, don't you?
1: I uh, well, you tell me. I don't know, because you know, when I, my motto growing up—that's why I, I played baseball. And the only thing I thought that was worse than track was field. You know that. So, anyway, uh, veteran owned company. Everything's made right here in the USA. They employ actual Americans, and the price is less than those of other premium co- coolers you're going to see in the stores or see advertised. If you want to see more of their supply, and they're not having any supply chain issues there right now, uh, go to taigacoolers.com. T A T-A-I-G-A, I G A is how you spell it, taigacoolers.com. When you go to checkout, enter the promo code Steve for a 10% discount. Tigacoolers.com promo code Steve for 10% off. Coming up in today's overtime, over the weekend, our friend and colleague Jason Whitlock posted an interesting moral dilemma. And the question was, if you had the choice, would you rather be 20 again and broke or 60 with 100 million? And I think this is one of those questions that is a window to the soul, or at least what a person's current priorities happen to be. So we are going to discuss that question and how we would answer it coming up today in the overtime for blaze tv subscribers we will record it right after today's program and then it will be uploaded for you later today at blaze tv.com dace and if you're not yet a blaze tv subscriber and you would like to become one that is where you can go to get a discounted subscription today blaze tv.com dace i don't know if my dace 20 promo code still works Try it. I mean, at least they'll, the worst they'll tell you is that this is no longer valid, but it might still work. I don't know. Uh, Dace 20 is what we've had off and on uh, for even a bigger discount to subscribe. So give it a shot when you check out. Like, no promises, though. Blazetv.com slash Dace. All right, let's get to what is in the montage. Let's, let's start with the Lancet study on reinfection. So I just want to re-highlight what Aaron highlighted. Um, the timetable here is, 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 is key, because well, first of all, I don't believe the original wave of COVID was the Alpha wave. I don't believe that. You know that the ethic that ethical skeptic guy has been pointing out a lot of data that shows that this thing, this virus, is is was mutating pretty fast for something that just novelly appeared on the scene, uh, you know, outside of China uh, in the winter of two thousand twenty, and that if you look at normal um microbiological evolution small e usually a strain's got to be a few years old before we get to that for example with the first SARS the second wave happened numerous months after that um, that virus actually originally was uh, unleashed out of uh, out of Asia and it actually one of the hot spots of origination for the second wave was Canada. Um, and it kind of shocked people because it came out of nowhere. This thing mutated very fast. And so one of his arguments is, "How are we? how is this thing accomplishing three to five years of normal mutation or evolution in the span of months at a time, right? That, that's the stuff he's been posting. Well, I can give you an, an answer to that question, actually. Would you like it? Probably not. Probably not. It, I'm not saying it is the answer. <laughs> I'm not saying it is the answer. I don't know for a fact that it is the answer, but I think it has it's the potential to be an answer. I think it's a hypothesis that has at least theory potential. And that, that what we call the alpha strain wasn't an alpha strain at all. Because the, the virus is the result of preemptive attempts to vaccinate, create a vaccine against a contagion that did not yet exist. It was either released or escaped from that lab. And since they've been doing that research since, what is it, 2014? Can we document it going back to 2014 they were doing that gain-of-function research? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we just talked about that not too long ago, right? Yeah. So, now you can, I mean, that timetable would line up, wouldn't it? If, if, If... So, therefore, what we're dealing with here... And that's that's also why they had the gene sequencing for a vaccine and everything so fast is because the virus is the vaccine. The virus is the was the attempt to create a preemptive vaccine against a contagion that did not exist yet. That and I always forget it's a chimeric or chimeric? I think it's chimeric. Is it chimeric? That mongloid essentially or goulash they were working on in that lab. I like that word better. I can pronounce it. Um, uh, that mongloid, they mean the same thing, but I can pronounce one right every time that mongloid goulash, they were working in that lab. They'd been working on for several years, tinkering with it, provoking it, trying to find out what would cause it to spill over from an animal to a human. And that's why the thing has gone through numerous mutations in such a short amount of time, because it's not been a short amount of time. And that's what ethical skeptic, I believe, is getting at. All right, one thing he loves to do is beg questions and then not answer them, because that way, that answering the questions is how you get banned. All right, so he begs a lot of questions and doesn't answer them. I'll answer them for you here. That would actually answer that question. That we didn't just see a bunch of mutations happen that normally would happen within years of an outbreak or a virus, but they've actually already been happening for years. How's that for a potential answer?
3: Uh, as long as it's honest, I'll take any of them, but uh, all the honest answers are also dreadful in terms of what we have to do to make sure it never happens again.
1: I think this is also plays into, why did I bring this up right now about a natural immunity study? Because I think these two things actually go together. Whenever, whenever in politics... People prefer to be defined by the most base assumption for why this happened, this tragedy happened, this screw-up happened, or we're just dumb, we're just stupid. Whenever that is the narrative they prefer as the answer, it almost always means the real answer is worse. Know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Almost always means the real answer is worse. Because these are elitists. What yeah. do they fear more than death? Or death, I should say. It's being embarrassed. Correct. So when, they put, when they're like, yeah, we're just that dumb. We're just that, it, it, we're just that embarrassing. What's the real answer? Throughout much of 2020, I posited on this show as this Lancet study on natural immunity. Guys, we were getting these studies on uh-huh. natural immunity by this time in 2020. We were getting this stuff. This is eons, old, established science, literally eons. Before we had even crude forms of vaccines in the late 18th century, before we had actual medications that didn't come along until well into the 19th century, how did we sustain ourselves as a species with plague after plague and pestilence after pestilence for thousands of years, throw in improper sanitation. Right? I mean, one of the leading spreads of bubonic plague, the dark in the the middle ages was people just taking their waste and throwing it out into the streets, attracting the rats. Okay. So we didn't have standard running water in homes. Until like the late 19th century. And even as late as the 20s or 30s in America, there were plenty of places you could go in a place like Iowa, and they still didn't have it. Okay? Flyover country. So for eons, sanitation didn't exist as we know it today. Medications didn't exist as we know them today. Vaccines, even crude attempts at them, did not exist as we know them today. As Bill Maher has pointed out, a half a century ago, your doctor recommended his favorite cigarette brand. Okay? How did we sustain ourselves as a a species for eons worth of plagues and pestilences despite those things? We were forced to acknowledge the natural order of things. One of the most basic facts of science before we even knew what an immunology was, is prior infection providing protection and resistance against future infection. That is as old as the written word in human civilization. And yet, throughout the course of this scamdemic, the elites... The Fauci's, the COVID stands have tried to deny this. Why? Well, throughout 2020, I posited it's because it was tacit admission that the virus is not of natural origin. It was about this time last year that the constraints about or against posting about the unnatural origin of the virus were actually lifted on social media. At this time last year, you and I had one of the best-selling books in the country, Fauci and Bargain. Yeah. You still, when we published that book on March the 26th, you still could not openly talk about the virus being of an unnatural origin. Think about that. So the easy answer as to why they denied it this entire time was what? Greed. And they never pushed back on that. They never, they never pushed back on, yeah, we just, there's no money in it. We're greedy. That's the answer they preferred for you to believe. Why? Because the real answer was worse. Because they had created a Frankenstein in a lab. It was either let out of that lab on purpose or through incompetence or malfeasance. They had no idea if what they had created in that lab was so unnatural that it actually might be a captain's trips. That it, that it might actually violate natural immunity. Not in the way an endemic virus does, right? Just because you had a cold when you were 10 doesn't mean you'll ever get a cold again. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about contagions, pandemics, plagues. When these things and these infections are at their deadliest and their highest lethality. That's what we're talking about. Before they reach endemic status. The Lancet is pretty much the medical journal of the European branch of the spirit of the age. Fair? Yep. Is that a fair description? So why are they acknowledging natural immunity now? Is there any more money in natural immunity than it would have been if they'd have done this two years ago when we had we had the same data from other parts of the world? They could have they could have done this then because the UK data isn't just what I would call the beta variant. It's not the alpha variant. The alpha variant is what they injected 500 million times into people last in the last year, in my opinion. That's your alpha variant. This is the beta variant. And then we went to Delta. It includes both of those strains, even the one that was more virulent. Deadlier Delta and still 0.7% of adults, 0.2% of children suffered reinfection after prior COVID infection. Those numbers have been there all along. Remember last August, the Israeli data that came out that looked at the reinfection numbers and what did it find? Like 24 times higher, more likely to be reinfected amongst the jabbed than people who had a natural infection. Right. right. This has been out there all along. So why is the spirit of the age is European branch journal, The Lancet, now acknowledging this? I believe it's because they've, they've, they've got two years of data of observing this unnatural virus in a natural habitat. And they're now not as afraid or scared that they've unleashed a like an apocalyptic end of civilization, the stuff we make movies out of, level event. That's what I think is the answer. Do you guys have any thoughts on that?
3: Well, that's just another layer of why somebody needs to go to jail, because if that's right, uh, the truth was withheld intentionally because everybody knows that had the truth been released earlier who it would point back to and that's what they're they're trying to the exhaustion that of everything that came with the virus has caused people to just want to move on they're hoping you know that they can they can have plausible deniability by dropping out something like this see we got to it sooner or later. There's the truth for you. But nobody, like in so many other walks of life, uh, people aren't willing to put on up a fight on anything, go to their school boards just because they want to get on with their own personal obsessions. And they're probably right about that.
2: Um, this is as on brand, your conclusion, Steve, is as on brand for the... Um, biomedical COVID cabal as it gets. As it gets. The truth only comes out when it's not a threat to them.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: I'm just looking at something Peter Daszak just retweeted. Uh, not just retweeted. He tweeted this a couple of days ago about a, uh, a bat hunter in Thailand who's hoping to prevent the next pandemic. Tell me if you've heard this story before. Yeah. These people just re-rack it until someone is actually held accountable. Mm-hmm. They're just going to keep re-racking this over and over and over again. They're going to keep creating these chimeras or chimeras, however you, goulash. They're going to keep harvesting aborted babies, killed babies. Yep scalps to put on to lab rats this is what they did in wuhan this is what they did at the university of of pittsburgh i believe it was mm-hmm. you're right they're gonna keep doing this over and over and over again until somebody's held accountable and somebody says no and somebody says uh, gallows and or jail and or both or just skip jail right to the gallows it's just gonna and and yeah. there's there's no end to it until nope. we demand it
3: Disney and Big Pharma are the exact same problem.
1: That's, that brings us actually to Elon Musk and Twitter. You know one of my cardinal sayings. We are not a nation of laws and we never have been. We are a nation of political will and we always will be. Musk is demonstrating that he has the will to finish this race. And that's what this always came down to was never a question of resources or ingenuity or cleverness this was always a question of will since musk has clearly indicated that he has the will to see this through to the end this is the position that that twitter is in that's an excellent summation of daily of the daily wire let me just boil it down into really the only option they have of, of con, for control is they're going to have to now go out and find out how many of the world economic forum crowd is willing to buy the company at a higher rate per share than musk is willing to buy it they're hat in hand that's their only that's their only shot now is they're going to have to go to this they're going to have to go to those people and say brother can you spare an extra 60 billion cuz that's what it's going to take to hold on to this the Saudi prince, we all, I mean, the amount of lies that have come out already because of what Musk has done. Like you heard the story of the Saudi prince who went on Twitter and rejected he, Musk's offer as the, a their member. second has- largest shareholder. He sold his shares in 2019. He's not even a board member, despite everything you were told. That story is a lie. Not true. Musk has shown, I'll play this game out all the way to the end. All the way to the end. I'm fine playing it out. That's what this has always been about, is a question of will. Now, this is a higher stakes game than anybody within the sound of my voice can afford to play. But Musk is basically playing a game of let's find out. Here's what we have found out. Most of Twitter's board aren't even active shareholders. In fact, it's such a corruption, even Jack Dorsey, the Twitter founder, is out there posting stuff that looks pro-Musk. So you've found that out. You've also found out that even at, at, at an insane amount of ROI for what that company is worth, this is an idol the censorship is there is there is there reason for being it is their purpose and it will have to be pried from their cold dead fingers but what do you do when the guy rides in on the pale the pale white horse and says i like doing that i'm fine with it now they're cornered the poison pill that they enacted isn't it's it, it's kind of erroneous how it's described as something that limits musk musk can still buy a substantial amount more of Twitter shares that would still make him their largest shareholder he can still increase his shares from nine to fifteen percent if he wants nothing is stopping him from going out there and accumulating investors to buy up the remaining shares so that he that's the old fashioned takeover model right a, a rival group of investors come in and buy up the shares. There's nothing stopping him from taking this thing over at all by this poison pill move. Who the, what this poison pill move really limits is Twitter, because now they have admitted to their shareholders that they don't have their fiduciary interest at heart as their number one mission. were we told from? I mean, I remember hearing the first time from Rush as a kid, the number one goal of a corporation is to produce a profit and a dividend for its shareholders and it just blew my mind the first time I heard that I was like yeah I guess I never looked at it like that before my guess is the vast majority of people who own stock in Twitter thought that that's what that that transaction was for and now they're learning that it's not so the only chance they have right now to hold on to control is they're going to have to go find a guardian angel or angels willing to pony up about 60 bill Maybe they will, maybe they won't. But then they'll have their own shareholders and the government to come after them, even if they do. More in a moment. A lot of talk these days, and rightfully so, about parental rights. One of uh, the chief proponents uh, and advocates of defending parental rights for years is Alliance Defending Freedom. They have taken numerous cases on this and other matters all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court, and they represent all of their clients pro bono. But that means they, of course, need funding from somewhere, and that somewhere uh, people like us, if you're interested in making a tax-deductible donation to Alliance Defending Freedom, and you know my general rule on the show, I don't ask you to make make personal appeals uh, for you to make donations to organizations I myself have not donated to, and so this one checks the box. You can go to adflegal.org slash steve. That's ADF for Alliance Defending Freedom, ADFlegal.org slash Steve. That's ADFlegal.org slash Steve. Speaking of the Supreme Court, Clarence Thomas uh, is back hearing oral arguments today uh, in person at the U.S. Supreme Court. So that is obviously good news. Praise God. Indeed. Uh, We welcome in our good friend uh, Bob Vander from The Family Leader. Good to see you, brother. How are you?
4: Doing really well. Happy Easter to all of you. And just one little plug for Alliance Defending Freedom to your your viewers, your audience. They are a key partner to us as well, uh, national allies. So if you want to support them, it'd be money well spent, well invested.
1: Well, um, I, I know, and you know, Michael Ferris is a longtime friend of mine who runs that organization now. Uh, I've done a lot of work with them over the years. Both of us have. We've seen firsthand how effective they are, which is why. I was so disappointed to see them be so passive during key moments I thought of the COVID battle. Mm -hmm. But once they got off the sidelines and got involved in that, then I was fine using our show to... Uh, support them and even uh, write them a check out of my own pocket because they have an outstanding track record of success. That's why I was disappointed. I, I We needed a weapon like that in this you fight bet. because they know how to they know how to do this stuff. They're really good at it. So how was Easter for you even though you spent it in Columbus, Ohio?
3: How was it?
4: Well, I did not spend Easter in Columbus, Ohio. I was actually back in Des Moines for that. Okay. Uh, but Darla and I were in Columbus, Ohio uh, last week over my birthday, uh, Tuesday. And you even came back wearing that red. Look at that. Yeah. Yeah. So Monday and Tuesday Day we were in Ohio, but then uh, I flew on to Richmond, Virginia, and we had a chance to see our Ohio peer with Aaron Baer and his board and his team, and then our Virginia peer of Victoria Cobb and her team, both are being part of the Daniel impact of this state initiative across the country that we believe is a tangible way to bring revival back to this country.
1: So you left Ohio before one of the biggest days in Governor Mike DeWine's life. <laughs> I did. Yeah, he has covid and so if you know anything about Mike DeWine, you know this is a seminal moment for him. I mean, this is uh, one of the proudest achievements and moments of his life is to now be able to add himself to the ranks of those who have contracted the disease that he is uh, hopelessly shown to be devoted to uh, over the last couple he of years. He thought he had it
4: before once.
1: Yeah, uh, And then, then, of course, that turned out to be a uh, dreadful false alarm. He hates being teased. And now, of course, uh, that marriage has been and officially consummated. So shout out today to Governor Mike DeWine uh, for his new dalliance uh, and confirmed romance with COVID. No longer are those feelings unrequited. The affection <laughs> has been returned uh, indeed. So um, speaking of Easter... I want to spring this on you. Sure. And don't show it yet, Aaron. Okay. Let me talk about it for a second. When I saw this Easter morning, I I, I had to hold my breath. I got a lump in my throat. Just the comparison and the contrast. Okay. This is a meme that was going around Easter morning. And, and, and here it is. Look at this.
0: Yeah.
1: This is the skyline of New York City. At the bottom in black and white, I've been able to verify that is, um, that is Easter weekend, New York City skyline, Empire State Building, et cetera, 1956. All right, that's what's at the bottom. Now, I don't know what year that is at the top, but I would guess it's within the last decade for certain. Okay, it would certainly be post-Windsor, post-Obergefell, so within this decade. Okay. But at the bottom is 1956. At the top is modern current day. Same city, same skyline. When you see these images, you know, the old saying that a picture says a thousand words, man, I, I think this one is a Dostoevsky book. Okay. Mm. I mean this this is this is I mean, you could you could write a chronicle on what this one says. But I want to get everybody's reaction to this. Bob and you get the first crack at it.
4: I think my first reaction is where's the hope? Uh, When you take a look at the lower picture, you see the hope is in the cross, Uh, regardless what you're facing, what the trials are that you're going through, life circumstances. uh, We look with an eternal focus, and that's why we give praise on Easter morning that the tomb is empty, and we still embrace the cross that we have a God who loves us so much that would send His one and only Son to take upon our sin, our shame, our burdens, and nail it all on the cross and put it. Put it to death once and for all. It is finished. Hmm. When I take a look at the above picture, I quite frankly look at it where Scripture says, well, you know, who is the Lord? Uh, I live in so much prosperity. I have everything I want, everything that I need. Uh, I'm the God of myself, which is, you know, basically everybody's got to wrestle with that. Is, Is there a God or isn't there a God? And so therefore, who is the Lord? This is all deserved unto me. And so even using the rainbow colors uh, for a long time, I thought, you know, that's a covenant God has. And our God will not be mocked. I'd be very careful in how you use the rainbow. And in this circumstance in particular. But to me, it's a deal of either you have one America, 1956 is saying there is a God and we are not it. And we're going to live with the eternal focus. The other picture is saying we're God. Who is the Lord? I'm the Lord. And I'm going to display it on, on sky, or sky Towers. What do, you guys, <laughs> what do you guys see
2: when you see that picture? I want to go a little more <clears throat> specific. That's a, in kind of picking up where Bob left off there. When you look back at humanity, the association with tall structures... Uh, especially in ancient times, Tower of Babel, the pyramids, things of that nature. What does that symbolize? It's not pointing to the sky, really. It's pointing to to pointing to us. Look, what was the what was the the, the purpose of the Tower of Babel? What was the purpose of the pyramids? Uh, historically, I would I would say tall buildings are not necessarily what they're pointing to. Uh it, it literally it's it's they're they're really just symbols of look at us. I will be like the most high. Look at, look at these great accomplishments until one country that would be this one. And for uh, a number of of decades, a couple of um a couple of s- centuries um every single Every single institution, on some level, instead of pointing to our glory, pointed to his. And just we, we've been using this term, when we've been using this term a lot lately. When you let go of the rope, mm-hmm. it goes real fast.
1: That's what that's what it said to me. That's why I got the lump in my throat. We're talking. That's basically a little more than a generation there. About yeah. that's about a, a, a fifty years. Is the difference that can happen when a culture lets go of the rope, Todd?
3: Uh, it reminds me of what I've brought up many times before. One of the most chilling parts of scripture is when the Lord reminds everybody, hey, many of you will come to me and say, I did this and this and this. And I, I mean, I will say to you, I hardly knew you. Listen, there, there is a there is a whitewashed tomb aspect of just that picture, because this is 1954 56. But 56. You're close 56. It yeah. it, it, it's, it's not 1906. Okay. There are people alive today that were alive in that moment. The baby boomers, uh, the people who turned on the lights in those buildings went home to the now baby boomers. And we know what they're responsible for. The thing is, maybe a, a, a generation, the greatest generation that had done so much. But even then, how much of their lives did they collectively put on cruise control? This is there's nothing new on the sun in this story. Old Testament ups and downs, ups and downs. Who who lived up to the standard quickly their own sons did not. The same in terms of uh uh the New Uh, uh Testament and uh how it was lived out by Christendom and which great emperors uh of the uh, Holy Roman Empire lived up to it, which ones did not, which popes didn't, which did not. Which reformers did not. So there's nothing new about this, but it takes more than on uh, Easter to turn on a pretty uh, pattern in the window. That must be lived out every single day. And the simple fact of the matter is that the rainbows on one building do have something to do with how life was lived collectively in 1956. And I, 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 we, when I say we get too comfortable, uh, this is another thing of, of what I mean. Uh, we, we have got to always be challenging one another. We are promised that the cross is an offense, not just to the pagan. It's an offense to us every single day. I don't want to sit around and think of myself as a sinner mm-hmm. every day. I'm a sinner every day, and we don't want to do that.
1: I, I, it occurred. It's occurred to me recently that the only people in this life who truly don't get what they want are Christians. Because if we're all sinners and none would choose him, and we've all fallen short of the glory of God because of our sin, and we desire sin, even, even after conversion, we still struggle with the desire of being tempted by our desires. Then really the only people in this life that truly don't get what they want are the people that are given a new nature that encourages them to deny those self-interest, to deny that um, self-gratification, self-sustaining instinct that everybody else is governed by. We're the only people that don't get what we want because none of us want glory. In the eternal sense, none of us want heaven. None of us, none of us are born wanting salvation. No one's ever had to teach a child to say the word. No, no one's ever had to teach a child to say the word mine. No one's ever had to teach a child not to share things. No one's ever had to, no one's ever had to teach a child to be disobedient. No one's ever had to do that. All right. I mean, I've raised three of them now and all three of them are a lot better looking than me. Okay. They were adorable. I didn't have to teach them any of those three things. In fact, I'd look at what came out of those adorable pie holes sometime. What is you? What is you? How did this happen? Okay? And it's because of the nature in which they're born. It's only those of us who have been given a new nature. We're the only ones really in this life that really don't get what we want. Everybody else, if you really look at it, cravenly and carnally gets what they want. Bob, we'll give you the, the, the floor here for your last work.
4: Well, I think the thing is, you know, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Uh, this life is just a breath. So we live with an eternal focus, look higher, think bigger, expect more. All those things that we've talked about. Todd, going back to you and look at, say, 1956. And you think of the World War II generation, which is called the greatest generation. Greatest generation. My dad talked very openly to me about that. He said, you know, we're called the greatest generation because what we did in World War II put the cause above ourselves. He said, but we're also the generation that stayed on the couch asleep when they took prayer out of public schools. You know, it's just like Mm -hmm. we never thought they would get it done. Mm -hmm. So it's just that constant demoralizing. And pretty soon we get more and more and we get more and more prosperous. And that's where the scripture warns us about. Pretty soon you'll say, who is the Lord? And we need to be reminded who is the Lord. And that's why I think for us as believers, why I agree with Steve, we're, we're the ones who don't get everything we want in this life, but we have true hope and that hope we need to communicate to our neighbors, to our loved ones, to those that God puts in in place of us or puts in front of us to communicate where is true hope. It's not in that skyscraper with a rainbow color on it. <laughs>
1: The 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 point that you made there at the as well, Aaron, about the ups and downs of uh, of Jewish history in the Old Testament, we're not America is not a new Israel or even an archetype for Israel. But you also cannot deny whether you look at the you know the founding documents. You go back to the Pilgrims. Clearly, there was an attempt to emulate, from our perspective, some of that covenantal language that if rights were based. On coming from God and not from government. Uh, if, we, if we passed out Bibles to the people, which was one of the first acts of the, of the U.S. Congress, for example, there was clearly an attempt in a civic realm to emulate some of that covenantal language. That's why you see it uh, still as historical markers everywhere you go in Washington, exactly. D.C. And so there does seem to be, in, in a civic natural way, you see that pattern, how often throughout Israelite history they were one generation away from revival or from bust constantly all mm-hmm. right that that if those things were not passed on to every generation ensuing reagan referred to this as we're always one generation from losing our freedoms right and that's what i think that what that picture shows is the difference that was made in one generation and yes i know that we had jim crow and racism and segregation in parts of this country in the 1950s but look at the difference in how the arguments were made i don't i'm not here to reconstruct martin luther king jr and i don't think that he'd have been some conservative or republican if he had lived on but i do think if you look at the the way he frames his civil rights arguments clearly they come from a christian biblical view and understanding of the world they his his references his uh his hermeneutic for for his claims for civil rights are marinated in that language even the way that we hash out our arguments in this day and age our secular, our leftist, our Marxist, our spirit of the age, right? MLK's having an argument saying to an allegedly Christian company country, where is the fulfillment of your Christian of your Christian manifest destiny? Why are we still denied this as 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 black Americans? You don't even hear those arguments anymore. Mm. Even when we have these same arguments today, even the arguments we have with one another are based in anathema to the values and the uh, and the ideals and the creeds that the country was founded upon. I mean, it's systemic now. It has infiltrated us at a molecular level as a society. And I think that picture is is just anecdotal proof of it. Good to see you, my friend.
4: Good to see you as well. God bless you guys.
1: Same to you. All right. Uh, When we come back here for hour two for our Monday town hall, um, we did a segment on Friday when you were gone, uh, Todd, uh, explaining the the origin and truth around Good Friday. What does it mean? What does it symbolize? Because our audience has grown quite a bit. And I hear from people all the time that the the answers to a lot of these religious questions they've had don't ever get answered anywhere except on a show like this. So we try to answer them where Good Friday is concerned next hour we're going to do so now with easter and then we have some follow-up questions from the audience that are easter related that address what's going on in american culture as well and we'll get to those and more when we come back for hour two stay tuned All right, back with our two live and on demand here on Blaze TV radio and podcast. I'm Steve Dace with Todd and Aaron McIntyre, and all of you. Let us know what you think about what we think by emailing the show, Steve at SteveDace.com, D E A C E. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Look for us as well on MeWe Parlor and Gab where they don't try to censor us. Follow me at Steve Day Show on Twitter and Getter, where they also don't try to censor us as well. Get clips of the show that are free of censorship and free to watch when you go to rumble.com slash Steve Day Show. And don't forget, if you're a podcast listener and you have yet to do this for us, please leave us a five-star review. If you like the program, hit the subscribe or follow button. And thank you to all of you that have done those things for us already. I just brought you guys in a uh, extra Filling of uh, Built Bars. I'm keeping a stash for you now here in studio. That. Yep. And I was cleaning out the garage here for spring over the weekend, and I realized I've got a lot more of the seasonal holiday stuff, because what I do when that stuff goes away, man, is I buy it up. I buy, like, extra helpings of it. So I had, like, several boxes of gingerbread and eggnog from Christmas. I just ate one of the eggnog bars during the break, Aaron. Man, that that bar is good, that eggnog bar bar is. All of the flavors at Built Bar are great, all of them loaded with uh, flavor and protein, covered in real chocolate, not loaded with calories, carbs, and sugars. You will not believe it's a protein bar. Uh, It's better than a lot of the candy bars that are out there on the market. So many great flavors to choose from as well. 180 calories or less in every single bar, uh, up to 18 grams of protein in every single bar as well. If you want to try it today or try it again, go to built.com. B U I L T for built bar. Go to built.com and get 15% off when you use the promo code DACE, my last name, at checkout. That's D E A C E for the promo code DACE. 15% off when you go to built.com for built bar. So on Friday we spent a good deal of time in our final segment, getting in, getting into, delving into Good Friday, its meaning and its importance, and why have Christians, uh, billions of Christians all over the world for two thousand years, held this day as a solemn yet also joyful occasion? Well, of course, yesterday, if if you're Catholic or Protestant. Uh, If you're Eastern Orthodox, you never went to the Julian calendar. So you have a different interpretation of when uh, Palm Sunday and Easter is. I think this year you're like a week behind. Okay, but uh, Easter for Christians for thousands of years, of course, has been the recognition of the physical or bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. Proving that he is indeed King of Kings and Lord of Lords. People have been resuscitated. Even Lazarus was brought back from the dead by Christ. But then Lazarus still died. He died again for real. Jesus Christ is the only person he still lives. He conquered death. He was resurrected forever. And that is uh, and has implications for what it means for all of us. That a day will come When we also, all of us, will be resurrected and either given a glorious body and live forever with God in heaven or a new earth or in a place separated from him called hell. Why is it so important if you're not a Christian or maybe you're a new one and you don't understand what does it mean when Paul writes in the New Testament? That if Christ has not been raised, then our teaching, our preaching is in vain and we are still dead in our sins. That it is the linchpin of the entire Christian faith that is the only religion that, ev- that has based its core claim on whether a historical event actually occurred or not. Did Jesus rise from the tomb or not? And it's only your answer to that question that then determines whether you take Christianity's claims on truth or ethics or morality to be, to be serious based on your answer to that question. But I got to thinking, maybe we should do something for Easter, like what I just did for Good Friday. But there have been, I mean, some of the greatest works of Western civilization have been uh, written about answering this question. How could I possibly tackle it here in just a few minutes or even an hour on a podcast? And then I realized I don't have to. Because in this excerpt of a sermon I'm going to play for you. This may be the best three and a half minutes that's ever been preached from a pulpit in the history of this country. And it perfectly encapsulates and explains the importance and the potency of Christ's resurrection and what it means for Christians and the whole world.
0: Strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captive. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent and he beautifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's a key to knowledge. He's a well frame of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is masterless. Goodness is limitless, his mercy is everlasting, his love never changes, his word is enough, his grace is sufficient, his reign is righteous, and his yoke is easy, and his burden is lighter. I wish I could describe him, for yet he's indescribable, he's incomprehensible, he's invincible, he's irresistible. Well, You can't get him out of your mind. You see, you can't get him off of your head. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. Well, the Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. Terror couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him, and the graves couldn't hold him. Yeah!
1: What is that, about three and a half minutes? Yep. That's pretty much the entirety of the Easter story, its importance, and why it is the cornerstone of the Christian faith and really all of Western civilization in about three and a half minutes. From Shadrach Meshach Lockridge, who is otherwise known as S.M. Lockridge, who for 40 years was the chief pastor and teacher and preacher uh, at uh, Calvary Baptist church in San Diego, California for 40 years from 1953 to 1993. I would ask you guys if you have anything to add to that, but then that would be setting you up for failure. There is nothing to add to that. Would you like to react to that before we move on?
3: I'm struck by the question that it arises, at least in my mind, in my heart, how often do we let on a regular basis because again on easter in my catholic tradition we re-emphasize our baptismal promises which is what we're how we're brought into the faith right at the very beginning and how it is is then supposed to uh walk through the rest of our lives how often do we let That flood that you just saw, that hurricane, that that force, how often do we let it consume us, wash over us? I would say the answer for most of us is, is very little. We bite size, manageable portions, put it on the shelf over here, dust it off uh every once in a while on a holy day here or there even if we're regularly regular uh church goers then how often do we take whatever message we learned that day out into our lives I, i think that's i mean that was a punch in the face right there that's what our faith is our faith is an uncompromising punch in the face and i would say many of us on purpose make sure that it isn't on a regular basis. Mm.
2: My thought is, well, when you put it that way, um, yeah, no, that's, it, it can be, it can be, and it is, it is so easy to forget who really wins, who really has already won until you hear messages delivered like that and in that style we are not given a spirit of fear but of power i think that's on display when you put it that way we don't have an excuse to be afraid or lazy or despondent and it's encouraging to hear messages
1: like that agree with what uh, both of you uh said in your reactions and you just don't hear a lot of preaching and teaching like that from America's pulpits any longer. And that is a direct correlation as to why we had the meme that we had last hour. Um, This was more common in another, in in another era and it's not common in our era. Well, let me rephrase that. It's not common from Christian churches and pulpits in our era. But that kind of fire, that kind of passion is still very common. It's just on the enemy's side. And so that's why the skyline of America's most prominent and largest city, that's why it's lit up in his colors now. And it's not lit up in, uh, by his cross any longer. That's why. And that's an excellent segue to some post-Easter emails I wanted to answer this week on the Monday town hall. In fact, this one, and, and I didn't intend it to be this perfect of a transition, but it's going to absolutely follow up with what the both of you just said. Jeff Payne wrote this to me recently. America is infested with marshmallow churches. Let me stop with that statement for a second. One of the things that I I am worried about, and for for a long time I was concerned about this because I I thought part of my main calling would be to help to politically use the skills and talents God has given me to help to better politically mobilize and organize Christians into a more shrewd and effective political activist group than they had proven to be coming out of the old religious right. They were essentially just, we were just fashioned as simps for the Republican Party, basically. And I don't believe that anymore, which is why I don't do a lot of that kind of talk radio uh, anymore. I mean, just 10 minutes ago, Mitch McConnell's talking about he's going to spend millions of dollars to try to save Lisa Murkowski in Alaska again. You know, so you guys do with the Republican Party what you will. If you think working within it helps you to stand for good and righteousness where you live, far be it for me to tell you otherwise. And if you're where my buddy Daniel is at right now, where you literally want to shatter it in a thousand pieces like JFK once said about the CIA, I can't blame you for that either. The reality is we have to I'm I'm operating now at a at a different level. What is true? The reason why we spend so much more time on theology and epistemology than we do on activism on this show is because activism is the result of our epistemology and theology and the well is dry or rotten, one of the two. So, we're going back to first things here. What is actually true? What's true? But now I lament these marshmallow churches that Jeff is talking about because I have this sense of foreboding for what is coming. And I I fear there's a lot of good people sitting in those pews all over the country with a heart for God who are totally unprepared for it. Who were not sent out as sheep among the wolves, but sent out as it turns out, to be sheep for the wolves. They will be devoured needlessly, not as some great testimony of martyrdom, but in the truth of the statement that my people perish for a lack of knowledge, grist for the mill, chum in the water, totally unprepared for what is coming and what is here. It's a marshmallow world in the winter, like Dean Martin sings. And those are what we sing in our churches. Everything's good. Everything's great. Everything's hope-filled. Totally unprepared for what's coming and what is now here. And we'll get trampled as a result. I can't think of a time in all of human history... Or in church history, where the church went out of its way to actively not prepare its people for the times in which it lived. I can't think of another time. Marshmallows are sweet, soft, and mostly used as a filler between sturdier things like in s'mores or moon pies. Marshmallow churches are sweet. You'll never hear a harsh word like sin, repent, or hell. Soft, they offer little resistance to social or political conformity, like deconstructing marriage or medical apartheid. Filler between the sturdier structures of corporate and government bureaucracies. They are the perfect vehicle for moral therapeutic deism. Be good, be happy, because that's what God wants. Marshmallows are also quite flammable. When exposed to fire, they turn into something blackened hard, and if you try to eat it anyway, your mouth gets burned. I suspect we are about to see what happens when marshmallow churches get lit by the fires of persecution. See, this is this is my most foreboding fear, is what he's describing. America's churches need to trade their marshmallows for sandbags because churches are not supposed to be confectionery fillings for society's structures. They are supposed to be forward operating bases for the kingdom of God. Sandbags are dirty, heavy and not very tasty at all. But forward operating bases tend to have lots of sandbags because sandbags are really good at absorbing shrapnel and bullets and forward operating bases tend to be targets for enemy fire. Marshmallows are strictly optional
3: gentlemen your thoughts on that well uh how many churches these days uh and i know i know this happened in one of uh the uh when we had a a pastor change and you know then getting to know people bring people in talk about what do we need to work on and one of the main things a lot of the uh, older baby boomer crowd talks about is we, we need to be more welcoming. Uh, churches should be welcoming. But not in the way that a lot of these boomers think they're supposed to be welcoming. I think this is what this is getting to. Your, your church should not be the place in the world where you feel the most comfortable so here I am beating that drum again that's what this is really about forward operating we're talking military language there Your, your, your church is not supposed to make sure that you have every ministry small group whatever so that you basically become the a version of the pronouns crowd you Finally, you found your pronoun. You found your label. You found your little niche. That is so niche, it's almost irrelevant to everybody but yourself. That's a problem with churches these days. That's a marshmallow problem right there. Your comfort is immaterial to this. Particularly since when... You're in my church or Steve's church or Aaron's church, the main reminder, both visually, verbally, whatever, should be that cross. How can you possibly be stuck on marshmallow comfort when that is the calling you claim to have bought into? Fantastic letter.
2: I think. I think the only time where it's okay, okay to feel comfortable at church is when you have reached a level or have gotten to the place, whether it's in your own small group or corporately within the church, where confrontation in a godly way is so commonplace, you're no longer afraid of being confronted and you're no longer afraid of confronting. I think that's the biggest, that's the biggest issue, um, just right in front of us, is that I, I don't see, I know of churches, I know of churches like this, I just don't see evidence of confrontation, whether it's over sin or, or conduct, but it's always going to be over some form of sin. Maybe it's different, maybe it's different where you live, where, where you're watching this from. But the only time I think where it's, where it would be, whether it's from the pulpit or whether it's from somebody, like I said, somebody in your, in your small group, um, the lack of confrontation turns us all soft. And when we turn soft, we want more of the marshmallow and we demand, we demand more of that softness. Actually, I think, I think the sizes of a lot of churches would shrink dramatically if every Sunday they were confronted with their own sin in a specific and uncomfortable way. The church then would become immensely, immensely by 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 factors hitherto uh, unknown in the twenty first century, immensely more healthy. That's that's the problem that I see, is because yeah we, we are. We are marshmallow churches. It's because there's no ironing sharpening iron, at least not enough.
1: Before we get to the next one, what's going on right now with the war in Europe, just the kind of chaos foreign identity thieves love. And an easy target could be American homeowners, not your credit cards. That's small-time stuff, and uh, credit card companies actually do a pretty good job uh, with protection against fraud nowadays. Uh, It's it's your homes that uh, these hackers want. There's a lot more value and equity there. The crime is called home title theft. It's exploding here in the U.S., and unfortunately, it is not covered by your homeowner's insurance or your mortgage lender. Uh, And that's a problem because online is where a lot of our home titles are kept. That's pretty much the only thing we can produce that proves we own our home. That's why you're looking for Home Title Lock to put a virtual barrier around your home's title and to mobilize to protect it. If they detect any attempt to tamper with it whatsoever, you can register your address right now at HomeTitleLock.com and see if you're already a victim and have the peace of mind of knowing that your home's title is being protected and monitored daily. When you go to HomeTitleLock.com, again, that's HomeTitleLock.com. Let's squeeze in this one here next from Brad A., who says, I was wondering if you could share your experience with racial reconciliation in the church, what should it look like? What should it not look like? What questions need to be asked? Our pastor is engaged in an initiative here in Northeast Indiana, but as I hear and read through his stuff, I cannot get past all the buzzwords, all right? Like equity, inclusion, uh, and and it just seems like another stab at this whole systemic racism thing. It feels very wokey, but he assures us that it's not. I feel like I've been thrown under the bus because I'm just a white guy who lives in suburbia. Our church moves towards the downtown area away from our location. I've heard the messaging using every ta- tribe, tongue, and nation to imply that our church makeup should reflect what is clearly referring to in God's kingdom. I believe God builds his church because he is the one who saves and leads and guides, but it, guides, but it feels instead like man is trying to build the church. I want to be discerning in this area, so I'd love to get some of your perspective. Well, having been involved in some successful racial reconciliation you know what works the gospel that's what works we didn't get a bunch, a bunch of white guys together who you know uh and because some of their parents may have owned slaves 200 years ago we didn't even ask those questions i mean hey if you had some things in your heart that you felt like were things that you needed to confess and own up to some some stigmas and stereotypes that you had that you, had, uh, you were sheltering, you were in sin, then by all means, this is the safe space to do that and seek repentance and reconciliation and, um, and, and also restoration. But, but the goal was not to try to get black and white people together. The goal was to get Christians who just happened to be black and white together. That's what it was. That we, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, um, one Lord, one baptism, one testament. We, we centered it around the things that actually unite us. And we didn't, view, we didn't view this as an opportunity to have a proxy fight or trial about things that divided us, that really no one in that room had ever been a slave. No one in that room had ever owned them. maybe a few people in those rooms had been old enough to experience segregation or jim crow but there wasn't there wasn't the option of you're treated with immediate suspicion the sin we wanted to address is that we hadn't done this sooner or done it this way we didn't do we didn't do the worldly racialist agenda with bible verses we didn't do that we took the word of god literally and assumed that it would transcend the differences that we have with one another if we actually got together how good and pleasant it is to dwell together in unity and praise the lord we just took that literally we did that whole sola scriptura thing and acted on it and just let the holy spirit kind of do its thing that's all we did There wasn't some magic formula or incantation or steps to follow or a small group study. I mean, actually, small group studies and partnerships came as a result of those relationships, but it began from a premise of the gospel started there. That was the Alpha and Omega of the whole thing. trying to make it look like what the world falsely calls racial reconciliation and just throwing Bible verses in there won't work. It's got to be gospel-centered and gospel-oriented. That's the only message that has the power to truly break down those kinds of walls. Sincerely. Because it's the only message that had, truly has the
3: power to break down our own walls. Any thoughts on that? Well, you know how you got to approach it if you don't want black or white or whatever race to be the main thing it's crazy I know don't make black or white or whatever race the main thing I'm still blocked from one of uh, Loras College's uh, Twitter accounts because during the whole BML madness I pointed out stop the BML BLM madness you have the gospel at your disposal yep. use it at the weapon it's enough it's not that complicated yeah
1: why would i choose a lesser weapon yes when i have the ultimate weapon at my disposal unless i i really don't have there faith or is. i'm not really in favor of that weapon there it is that might be a reason why i will right, we'll come back more in a moment Well, if you're a dog owner, you know, taking care of that little stinker means more than just food and water. Uh, It's a part of your family. It's health. It's happiness. Therefore, is important to you. And that's why we've been telling you for a while now about the importance of Rough Greens. It's the supplement that you mix in with your dog's food. It's a green powder that apparently tastes great. I've not tried it myself, but my dog Cap loves it. And with that one simple act you have restored to your dog's diet A lot of the vitamins, minerals, and nutrients that were stripped out of it before it ever left the factory. For the same reason they do that to the people food we eat these days for mass distribution. That's why we're taking so many supplements nowadays, and now there's one for your pet. But you might be wondering, how do I know it works? How do I know my pet will even like it? Well, how about we give you the first two-week, 14-day Jumpstart bag for free to see if you don't see a difference in your pet in two weeks or less when you go to roughgreens.com. R-U-F-F. The bag is free. We do want you to put some skin in the game, so you're invested in trying it. So you pay for the shipping, but the bag is on us when you go to roughgreens.com. R-U-F-F for roughgreens.com or... You can give them a call at 833 Rough Dog. 833 Rough Dog. Let's continue on with uh, our Monday Town Hall this week, kind of a post Easter discussion and discussion questions. And this one is from Dale. Dale says As a younger man, I was a very stern atheist. Owning multiple Richard Dawkins books proudly as I have grown and lived a little, I've realized how arrogant that position is that as a snotty 16 year old, I truly believed I could refute all spirituality and wisdom that comes from it and has existed long before I was ever on the earth. That's a key thing right there. Humility. I remember when I was interviewing pastors before I got converted on whether I'd attend their churches. And I asked them all the same question. I thought I was the first person that had come up with this question. what about the guy in the, the aborigine in the outback that event that, um, uh, you know, that missionaries never met, never could get to. And he died saving a, a bus full of school children. And no one told him about Jesus. Is he in hell now? I thought that was a really cool, smart question. Then I found out that they've only been asked that 75 other times. I didn't think of it. I'm not the first one to come up with it. There was a world prior to, well, when I was doing this, 2002. There was a world prior to that. Lots went on. Lots of questions were discussed. Doesn't mean there aren't good challenges to Christianity. It just often means the new ones that come up aren't it. (laughs) All right. The new ones that come up usually aren't it but usually are recycling. I see that John Piper's got a, one of his sons is out doing videos I see on YouTube. Oh yeah. Yeah. And he is, he's trying to rehash like all the arguments that have already been de- debunked. Is that Barnabas or was it- Yeah, I can't remember which of his sons it is. Yeah. But, but you know, give me a, give me an Arius, a Marcion, a Pelagius, a heretic worthy, of the claims of Christianity. Don't give me some dime store, drugstore cowboy kind of stuff, man, that has been debunked a million times. But you're so gullible that your atheist religious studies professor, your freshman year at university, dropped it on you and you thought, wow, I just lost my intellectual virginity. You didn't lose anything, you didn't pop a cherry, you just popped a brain cell or 40. These things have already been debunked and discussed a million times. So Dale is correct. The first thing is assuming a position of humility. I found it hard to argue that the last two and a half uh, years have utterly felt demonic. I found it hard to argue that Christian values being left behind by Western culture hasn't had a demonstrably detrimental effect. While I see the arrogance of my former stance... I'm also not fully convinced that Jesus was killed and resurrected, but I have nothing but respect for those that do believe. So my question, first of all, do you see the, the, the reasoning here? This is really sound reasoning. And it's why, and and what Dale is pointing out is why we have to resist the temptation of going to sort of a cultural inculcation without individual conversion because what he's rebelling against what he's about to tell us is I don't want to be some kind of roll tide evangelical like you used to talk about. Mm -hmm. Okay. I don't want to conform or how I used to address the lapsed Catholics from the East coast in the media, you know, um, who went to St. Anthony's school, and all they do now is write articles for the New York Times projecting their spirit of the age psychosis upon the church and calling it news. Right. But they still call themselves Catholic, even though there's nothing Catholic in them. I'm more Catholic than any of them are. There's nothing Catholic in them. They just went to a Catholic school and they've completely disavowed everything that they mm-hmm. were taught. It's a, they're conforming to a cultural expectation from the part of the country or the world in which they live. And Dale is saying I'm, that's not going to be good enough for me. Props to you, Dale. It should not be. Because the reality is there's lots of different religious moral ethics out there that are fairly sound and fairly moral that if a society abided by them, would they'd still have some therapeutic benefit on a collective societal level as opposed to just your craven basic instincts, right? Yeah. Yeah. So what I hear you saying, Dale, is I realized I fell for the banana in my tailpipe with all the Richard Dawkins books. And I don't want to fall for the banana in the tailpipe again now. I don't, I don't want to get scammed again. So I like this line of thought. It's also a cautionary tale for us. We don't create people. We don't, we don't, we don't change culture. Because on a macro level, we win some form of cultural ethical battle royale. Culture is changed because there are more saints than now sinners. Because on an individual level, more people are reconciled to God through Christ and they now have a new desire to live differently and better. It's from the inside out, not the outside in. So he says, My questions for you are as follows. How can we be sure that in 2,000 years, Harry Potter or Iron Man won't be translated or retold, passed down through generations to the point that they are seen as savior figures? Secondly, having seen how easily truth can be perverted by every level of government, every cultural, medical, and even religious institutions, how can you be sure that the Bible is not an ancient perversion of a very old truth? These are actually both very good questions. Let me start one at a time with the first one. There's a phenomenal piece that the Federalist just published yesterday on evidence for the resurrection. It's linked up on all of my social media pages. I think it actually, my Facebook page is the last one it'll go up on. It'll be up in about 15 minutes, 1 o'clock Central, 2 Eastern. But it's on all my other accounts, Twitter, MeWe, Parlor, Gab, Getter. I would urge you, Dale, to go and other people that have this kind of question to go and read that. Number one, because it's kind of a condensed version of what people like Josh McDowell have done with works like evidence that demands a verdict and more than a carpenter. Number two, who in the world right now, where is the mass collection of people in the world right now that are saying, you know what? I once was a drug addict and now then I believed in Gilgamesh. I now believe in Zeus And I just have a different nature and I don't even have the desire to be an addict like that anymore. Do these enclaves of populations exist in the world any longer? Because that's who would have been worshipped about 2,000 years ago. Ishtar. Zeus. Jupiter. Why didn't why didn't those religions stand the test of time?
3: No there there because there was
1: no there there. They could not translate their original myths into enough life change that they sustained themselves beyond the immediate generations that were given first person the myth. They couldn't sustain themselves. Secondly, I know that we live in an era today that it seems that, it, that you can get um, wealthy and popular promoting Christianity. Although, what is often promoted in order to gain that wealth and popularity, whether it's from uh, the likes of a Creflo Dollar or a Joel Osteen, isn't, when you actually examine the claims of the Bible, isn't actually Christian orthodoxy. It's Christian branding, and those are two different things. But, at no other time in the history of this world has this been true. All the apostles themselves all faced the harshest and most heinous of deaths. With one example, or one exception, John. They tried to kill him. They boiled him in oil. It didn't work. And he died alone uh, into his 90s in exile on an island. So uh, until recent Western capitalism, Christian branding and Christian fake television, the church has been around for 2000 years and there's it's never really been. A prosperous venture to brand and market yourself as a Christian. It's actually been one of the most dangerous labels you can attach to yourself, beginning with the first generation of Christians, the firstborn of Chris Christianity, the disciples, the apostles themselves, or even, if you really want to get technical about it, Christ himself. So outside of modern West, So just like you said, hey, I don't want to arrogantly assume at that age that had all the answers. Don't also, Dale, arrogantly assume that whatever you see transpiring within contemporary Western Christendom is a 2,000-year-old tale. It is not. This is unique. That Christian branding has profit value. And the reason why it's not worked in the past, and one of the things that sparked the Protestant Reformation who was the who was the 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 guy that the, that Rome sent around collecting the coins? Tenzel. Thank you. Tenzel. Yeah, that that was collecting the coins for the refitting of St. Peter's Basilica, if I remember right. Mm-hmm. Correct? Okay. That the idea of profiting and raising money off of for craven things of that nature was so repugnant that it's not a coincidental that the timing of that along with Luther's 95 theses happened at the same time. Because there was already an audience that was dismayed by the direction of the church at that point in time. So until modern Western culture, it has not been possible or profitable to brand yourself a Christian. People would go read the scriptures themselves and would be like, yeah, I mean, I'm a, I'm a call straight up BS on that. And I'd urge you to do the same. In fact: The scriptures are pretty harsh about people doing this. As a matter of fact, um, as to your second question, you're correct. You have watched how every institution in this culture has perverted truth in the last two years, right? Every one of those institutions, by the way, is also opposed to what? The Bible. In a biblical worldview. So if you're, if, you're, if you're like, you know what? I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give my default setting to being on the side of those that all these institutions and systems are suspicious of. Well, Dale, I have glad tidings of great joy for you and others like you this very day. Because we're the ones that they hate the most. The Bible's the one that they uh, hate the most. They're the most suspicious of. So if you're like, you know what? Let me start from assuming that whatever all these liars is against is what I want to try out. Then, brother, we're holding tryouts for team Bible. And unlike when the Joker does it, we've got unlimited spots. Okay. Unlimited spots. And tryouts are happening every day. So if you're, if you want to, if you're like, I want to sign up with who all these institutions can't stand and don't trust. You came to the right place, my friend. Thank you for your note. We get to one more here in just a moment. First, though, if you're trying to sell your home in any environment, but particularly in these unprecedented times. Bing. Make sure you go in with a real estate agent you trust. In fact, I've talked about my real estate agent, Scott Remsburg, who I haven't used for 16 years, but I recommend to everybody, I recommended him to you, Aaron Rice. Yeah. And he took you stem to stern from, yeah. from, on the, from, uh, from open to close. How did it go? Uh, great. I mean, it. You know, Bell and I, first time
2: um, uh, home buyers, we uh, we were nervous about this entire prospect or this pro- entire process, and I couldn't have asked for a better real estate agent to work with for this entire thing.
1: If you want to find an agent, you'll still be recommending to people for years. Go to real estate dot com, and the name kind of says it all. Head over to real estate dot com. Let's close out with this one from Jr. Uh, As I search the scriptures, it comes to mind that twice God has implemented a worldwide judgment based on man's attempt at global unity. Once during the flood, when the whole world was filled, united with sin and violence. The second at the Tower of Babel. When he saw the unity of purpose in building the tower and said the scariest verse about mankind in chapter 11, verse 6 of Genesis. So here we are again, man trying to unify, certainly around COVID, but also uh, the spirit of the age's desire to eliminate borders, a unified belief in things like climate change and other things that are less noticeable, but are also highly suspect movements to gather unity. This makes me wonder if we are not at the precipice of the end of our age and the beginning of the next. I've never in my almost 50 years seen such a rush to fake unity of thought in the world as I do now. And it concerns me. And I'm not sure most Christians see this unity as a bad thing. Unity around worldly thinking or the spirit of the age is a bad thing. Yeah. And these are good observations, Jr. And it's why I've said on this show, I believe we are looking at one of two possibilities. The, uh, 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 we're living in the end of days. Or you're living in the end of days of western civilization I think that's the the lowest stakes that are being played for right now and the worst if we're in the end of days oh hallelujah look up for your salvation is nigh is that not what we've all been looking forward to for 2000 years for the end of days right sure this is it the return of Christ that's that's not don't be foreboding about that Be foreboding and worried if it's not that. Because then you're talking about returning to a new dark ages. A story that doesn't have a happy ending. That'll do it for today's program. We are back at it again tomorrow, noon to 2 Eastern, right after Glenn Beck here on Blaze TV. We're going to tape the overtime for Blaze TV subscribers. For the rest of you, we'll see you tomorrow. Until then, John 317.